0: All right. Good morning, Mercy Family. Good morning. good morning. Hey, before we get into our sermon, um, we have a really uh, a special morning for uh, the life of our church this morning, and that's because I'm going to introduce to you here in just a second uh, someone who is being presented to our congregation as an elder candidate for. A mercy church. Uh, if you don't, if you're newer to church, don't know what that is. Uh, basically, we as a church, we are Jesus ruled, but we are elder led, which means we believe in a group of men that God entrusts leadership to the church, and then the congregation follows that leadership and affirms that leadership through prayer and everything else. Uh, but we spend a lot of time and energy making sure that uh, the current elders spend a lot of time vetting potential elders, and we put them before the congregation. So I want to ask Jake Greer, uh, who is right here, to make his way up. Jake um, Jake, and his family have been members of Mercy Church for several years now. Uh, Jake actually came on staff with Mercy Church um, just a couple of years ago, and we have um, all been blessed. Many of you have been blessed, but we have seen above and beyond that just that he is a shepherd uh, that God has gifted as an elder according to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. So I'm putting him up here before you so that you can see him. Here, take off just, just for a second so they can see your full face. There we go. Uh, so you know who we're talking about here. Um, listen, what I what now the current elders ask you to do, this is for the members of Mercy Church. Because we are a congregational church, we believe that the Spirit works through the congregation to affirm the direction that the elders believe we're heading. So, for the next 30 days, I want to ask you to pray for God to confirm uh, Jake Greer as an elder of Mercy Church. This is also the time where you come and you say, Hey, I actually have concerns. About this or the Lord's leading me to some kind of concern. And in 30 days from now, after we've vetted anything that may come up and uh, the elders have prayed and you continue to pray, 30 days from now, we're going to um, gather together our members and Lord willing, uh, vote and confirm Jake as an elder of Mercy Church. All right? Um, will you? right. Let's pray real quick. I want to pray over that process. This is a big deal um, for our church. I'm going to pray over that and then we'll, um, we'll continue on. Lord, thank you so much for my brother. Thank you for the gift that he is to me, to my family, to Mercy Church and, and his group of friends here at Mercy who have been shepherded so well by him. God, we pray for protection against the enemy, and we pray that you would bless uh, this season, these next 30 days. Would you give us together as the body of Christ a sense of confirmation of, yes, this is what you're doing in Jake's life and what you're doing in our church. Uh, we need you for that, Father, so we commit this time to you in Christ's name, amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. I have no good transition statement to where we are going next. Today, we begin a series of sermons to the Old Testament book, The Song of Solomon. This will be a, basically a two-month study of this book, and as we go through it, it'll be an in-depth look at dating, romance, marriage, and yes, we will talk about sex. This is a big topic we're stepping into. This is a topic that is personal to everyone, and because romantic love is so charged, so highly charged today, I want to spend this morning just giving us an orientation to this book that we're going to be walking through. I'm going to break this sermon into two parts. First, I'm going to share with you why I think we need to be talking about this right now. Like, Why do we need to study the Song of Solomon? That's the first half of the sermon, and I'm going to call that just your pastor's heart. For this book and for this book at this time. And then the second half of the sermon, I'm going to give you some keys to understanding what it is that you're reading. So once you get over the shock of this thing being in your Bible, you'll be able to actually handle it and it'll equip you to walk closer to Jesus as a result of your time in it. All right. Now, let me pause here and and give us a little transitional statement into the sermon. The scripture would probably get a PG-13 rating if it were in today's world. And some of you are sitting beside your children in a cold sweat. Okay, you're like your Apple Watch is saying breathe. Now is the time where you breathe, right? Um, listen, that's why this pause is here. All right, now we sent out an email, we posted some stuff about it, but there's a good chance that, that you're still a little bit taken by surprise. That's okay. Here's what you do. First, I do want you to know that I have two sons that are in 6th and 7th grade, and they will be in these sermons, okay, sitting in on these Sermons, because, listen, you can take your kid out of this room, but you can't take them out of the world. And the world is going to disciple them. And so they might as well get a positive vision of love and romance and sex and be confident of God's design for it, all right? That's a a good thing. But at the same time, listen, while I hope these sermons do tee up those conversations for you, if that's the area you're in, if you're still not comfortable, I get it. I mean, how do you think I feel? Like, my parents watch these sermons online, okay? (laughs) Like, I understand. So here's what I'm going to do. One more time, I'm going to to pray and ask God's blessing over our study of his word. And as I do that, that's a great time for you to just slip out of the room, all right, into the lobby where um, our kids' ministry and student ministry will be right out there and can direct you, okay? All right, let me pray for us. Um, Father, I do believe. All scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God is equipped for every good work. I believe it. And so I believe as we get into your word, you have something good for us. I pray that you will bless our time. I pray that, God, you would break down walls that are so easily put up. I pray that you get glory. Speak through me to that end and that end alone. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now as you'll see, every uh, sermon that we do here and every sermon in this series uh, from here on out is just going to be walking through a passage of scripture. In fact, this one's going to break down where it's we'll walk through chapter 1 twice and then just kind of chapter by chapter each Sunday. But today, like I said, it's going to be a little bit different because it's sort of an orientation to the whole thing. So I'm going to start with why preach this thing and kind of the key thesis that's behind all of this. And then how to understand the book. Because your homework is going to be to read Song of Solomon, all eight chapters, before you get back here next week. All right? That's our homework for the week. So let me start with the thesis, though. The the big thing that I want you to take away from our time together, all right? And that is that God is love. God made love. And God gives love. So I'll pursue God's way of love in my life. God is love. 1 John 4 tells us that. Love is not God. God is love. That's one of his attributes. This is his character. He's not just loving. he is the power and source of love. He is true love and you cannot know true love apart from God. So we'll keep coming back to that. He made love he gave Eve to Adam as a partner, but they were more than friends. They were husband and wife. They were lovers, and Ephesians 5 tells us that somehow this love between a husband and a wife is there made by God to reflect his great love for us, to tell us about his love for us. I'm going to say that a lot today. He's the designer of love, and he gives that love. He's not stingy with it. You'll see it in this book. He loves love. He loves to give it to you. He loves to empower marriages through it. He loves love. With that said, let me give you these three. I'm going to give you three reasons why we're getting into this right now. Again, a pastor's heart for, for this scripture and for our church. Listen, God's word offers clarity and hope to a confused world. Now more than ever, there are so many loud and conflicting voices out there speaking their truth about love and specifically about sex, the questions around sexuality and gender identity are unlike anything the modern world has had to deal with before. When your fifth grader or sixth grader is presented with questions like, how do you identify? Or what is your preference? You're just in a new era. And my heart is that I want you to be informed and confident about what God really has to say about marriage and sexuality. What he really has to say, not just the stereotypes about what he has to say, Because listen, I I know the Bible has a reputation in our world of being outdated and irrelevant when it comes to sex. Like, why do we need an old book like this telling us what to do? After all, that's completely at odds with our present pop culture that's going to say, do what feels right for you. The current world around us no longer sees sex as bound together with love anymore. I mean, it can be, but love isn't necessary, and certainly marriage isn't necessary for all of that. I look at this sexually charged world, and what what I see is... Brokenness, Like when you get beyond the Hollywood shimmer and you get beyond it, you see brokenness and confusion. I believe God offers hope into that. I believe he offers a clear vision of romance that is far more fulfilling than the hollow attempts this world makes. God, Here's why. God designed you as a whole person with the imprint of eternity on your heart. And when you choose his way in your life, you find fulfillment. What you're going to see is that his word to us, on sexuality and romance is a direct line to understanding his eternal, unchanging love for us. I really do. I think it's going to blow your mind to see how and discover that God designed romance and sex to be a, an instructional reflection of his love for you. And that's just as relevant as the day it was written. We should not be surprised. There's a whole book of the Bible on romantic love. God designed us to love love. That's why the greatest songs and the greatest movies and all the forms of art are about love. Nothing thrills us like discovering love and nothing disappoints us like missing out on it or losing love that we had. I'm telling you, that's okay. That's why God gave us a book about it, to guide us through it and show us his purpose in it. And as we do, we will be drawn to something greater and more lasting and fulfilling than romance and sex. I believe it in my bones. Some of you are going to be set free. Because the true love and beauty of God is going to set you free. Shame is not going to set you free. The true love and beauty of God is going to set you free. Guilt is not going to set you free. The true love and beauty of God for you is going to set you free. A whole bunch of lists of things that maybe you can improve your marriage with these seven tips is not going to set you free. The love and beauty of God is going to set you free. I believe it. I believe some of you are going to be set free from the chains of sexual bondage that you've been bound by. And I believe your friends, by the end of these nine weeks, are going to be set free by that same thing. And by the way, guys, that means you don't need a certain marital status to be really impacted by this book. I'm going to get more to that in a minute. That's my first reason. The second reason is that God's word offers clarity and hope not just to a confused world but to a confused church. Y'all, Christians are all over the map when it comes to understanding and following God's way for them in this area of life. Some have allowed pop culture to decide their sexual ethic for them. There's a study released last year by the Pew Research Forum that said 57% of Christians believe sex between non-married adults is acceptable to their faith. I recognize that's many of you in here. And I think that's because you are discipled more by pop culture than you are by God's word. And I hope over these next two months that you will submit. I'm not talking to non-Christians right now. If you're not a Christian, it, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't adhere to God's word. You need to deal with the gospel message, and you're going to hear that a lot. But if you're a Christian, my prayer for you is that you would submit yourself to the word that you claim to believe is God's word, even if it means and when it means hard decisions, difficult decisions that you have to make, that you would trust Man, He really is God, your Heavenly Father, who loves you and will walk with you as you make these decisions. And you'll choose Him because He's better. Then I know there are Christians who have had a very different experience. They encountered a teaching from the church or Christian parents that treats sex just as totally taboo. You've encountered a purity culture that says sex is bad and you should spend your single life like wrapped in a loose-fitting blanket socially distanced from the opposite sex, Right? The idea of talking about sex in church, look, I know, I just, I've been thinking about this, some of y'all are sitting in here, um, maybe you're newer to Mercy, I don't know, but you're like, that preacher has said sex like a hundred times, and we're five <laughs> minutes into this service. Um, where am I? <laughs> well, first, I assure you, you're in a church that preaches the Bible, but you may not have been aware that this book was in your Bible, okay? Okay. <laughs> Y'all, I'll never forget, I was, um, I was a sophomore at UNC, I was in a guy's Bible study, first time that um, our, these guys said, hey, we're going to go through the Song of Solomon, and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know what that is, you know, I assume it's kind of an extra on the Psalms or something like that. Um, so we used this video teaching by Tommy Nelson, and we were kind of dumbfounded. Passages like chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. I mean, we're like, what? I'm pretty sure that's the week we started our scripture memory program in our, uh, in our Bible study. Finally had that motivation. The point, the point I'm making there, I just had no idea that the Bible was sensual. That it talked so, hear me, positively, but also sensually about romantic love. Because I grew up in church, and the tone around this for me was a lot more like, don't think about or look at or touch a girl until you're married. And while there was some underlying wisdom in that, underlying wisdom that we will bring out and bring it to bear from scripture in this series, I was not offered a very positive, glorious view of marital love, including sex, that God does offer his people. And many Christians, what happens is, because of that, they go into marriage feeling like they've now got permission to do something that is wrong. Instead of feeling gratitude for a beautiful, powerful gift God joyfully gives to them. In fact, in chapter 4, what we're going to see is the one time God speaks, it's giving them this wonderful gift of sex and marriage. So what happens is a lot of Christian marriages struggle with this area because of that baggage. And then I know there's a whole other group who've been taught, whether through their own church or through podcasts, et cetera, a view of romance in marriage that, honestly, it devalues husbands and wives down just to their sexual appetites. And spouses have been Bible-shamed into marital intimacy. And honestly, the whole idea of romantic love being a beautiful fruit of a deepening walk with Christ has just kind of been lost. That's why we're taking so long to walk through this book. I want to be really careful here. One of our big goals in this series is to bring some level of redemption to some of the Christian views of romance, marriage, and sex. And on that, let me speak specifically to our singles. If you think this series is about just marriage, and so you're going to tune out a couple months, you're going to miss the whole point. We're going to hear time and time again is that you do not need marriage to access God's redeeming love for you. Marriage is the instructional reflection. It's the symbol God's love is the reality of the symbol. The Apostle Paul says, singleness is a gift to be exalted. Marital status does not hold you back from knowing God fully. That's crazy. Singleness is a gift, not a curse. And I know, I know sometimes church can make it feel like the goal of your Christian faith is to finally get marriage and children. And where that has been the case here at Mercy, I am sorry, but that's not the gospel that we preach, and nor is it Scripture's message overall. The goal of your faith is not marriage and children. The goal of your faith is bringing glory to God as you walk joyfully in his presence, living according to his word. And I want you to look to that. I'm pleading with God that this leads to breakthroughs for us, which leads right to my third and final point of kind of your pastor's heart for this series. And that's that God's word offers redeeming love, redeeming love to all people. The second I talk about sex and romance, I recognize defenses start to go up in some of you. No question, some of you have real hurt in your past as it relates to this area. It's the thing that brings me most real trepidation when it comes to preaching this book. That I'll say something or even in my tone somehow communicate something that sends you down the wrong path and causes you to miss God's redeeming love for you. Now, I do believe that the areas in our life with the deepest pain are where God can do the greatest healing if we will allow him. What I'm going to say here and then again in a minute when we talk about interpreting the book and what I've said already, what's the theme is that the big message of the book is that marital love is a symbol of God's love. God's love for you is the reality and that love is available to you in your pain. If you're hurting because of your own sin and the destruction your sin has caused or if you're hurting because someone else sinned against you, statistics tell me both are a part of our church. First, I want you to know if you're in Christ. What I want you to hear in this series is that you are not your pain. We're not gonna label you by your sin or by your suffering like the devil will. That's how your sin, that's how that sin retains its power over you. But we're also not gonna minimize it. We're just not gonna label you by that. We're gonna label you according to how Christ labels you and Christ calls you son or daughter loved by God. And there is power in Christ to bring healing to you, to bring freedom to you. I believe it, and I've seen it. And second, my commitment to you is that I want to walk with you through that healing. Our team does, whether it's one of our pastoral team members or folks from your community group. Listen, even if you're hurting because of your own sin, what a gift that you're here this weekend. I hope you'll respond to Jesus today. Today, not Man, everything in me as I've been praying for this weekend is that I don't want you to wait till the end of the series to finally repent and come back to the Lord. I want you to deal with Him today and then walk, learn how to walk with God in obedience to Him for the rest of this series. That's, (laughs) we're having baptisms um, this morning, which at first I was like, I don't know, this seems like it might be confusing. And then I realized, no, this is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of. What needs to happen in so many people? I'm going to give you the chance to respond in baptism, even after the ones who have already decided and are prepared to be baptized, because I think it is such a powerful moment for you to say, yes, I'm going to follow the Lord Lord, here. On that note, um, I'm just walking with you. We've got a conference we're holding in the middle of the series called Redeeming Sex. We're going to talk about some things in that conference that we can't cover at length in the series, nor does the text directly address it. But this is our attempt to show the beauty of God's design as it speaks to everything from same-sex attraction to talking with your kids about sex to purity culture. Got a whole morning with Dr. Jennifer Degler that will speak specifically to women. We've got a time of prayer set aside for healing. Ah, It's going to be a great weekend. That's my heart, y'all. As we follow the storyline of the couple we will see in this book, we'll talk about manhood and womanhood. Talk about dating and marriage. Talk about sex. We'll talk about conflict and a lot of other things. But in all of that, God is love, God made love, and God gives love. So pursue his way of love in your life. Let me switch gears and talk about how to understand this book. All right? Because like I said, your homework or soul work for this week is to just read the Song of Solomon. Go ahead and get familiar with this thing. So let me start with chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what he says. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Right off the bat, you see the first interpretive key to understanding this book. The Song of Solomon is a love song. It's actually even a, a whole album, all right? It's like Bohemian Rhapsody. It's one song, but it's got a lot of pieces to it. You know what I mean? It's a lot. I mean, look at verse 2. It's a, it's a love song. Verse 2, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your caresses are more delightful than wine. Praise God. I mean, how many times have I stood here and told you all the Bible's great? Finally, you're starting to see it. Kissing and wine by verse 2, right? I made sure the medical response team checked the defibrillator for some of you Baptists that have been around church a long time. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about our author who writes these words. This is Solomon. This is the son of King David. This is the guy, Solomon, known as the wisest man who ever lived. And he had 700 wives. So maybe not the wisest (laughs) after all, right? Actually, a little bit more serious note, maybe you think that, you know, having 700 wives actually disqualifies him from being able to write effectively on this. Well, in part, you'd be right. And multiple scholars believe, and I agree, that What's happening here, Solomon wrote this song later in his life, looking back, maybe even all the way back to the love he had for his first wife, but looking back nonetheless and writing about what love should be like. See, what you're going to see is a woman and a man, and I think in this, Solomon is just like any other songwriter where he's not the character that he's writing about, but no doubt his personal story clearly shapes the whole thing. Maybe a quick way to say this is if you kind of relate it to Romeo and Juliet, what I'm trying to tell you is Solomon is Shakespeare, not Romeo, all right? And this is his greatest song, the song of songs. He's got his poetic gift from his daddy, David, right? And he's writing, he wrote over a thousand songs, but scripture tells us that this is the one, this is his best one, the the top, the number one hit, I guess, out of the whole thing, the one inspired by God himself. So, pay attention. And it's poetry. That's the style. If you're new to the Bible, this might be new to you, but there's over the 66 books in the Bible, there's a number of different genres of literature in there, all right? There's things like narrative prose, like uh, Genesis, Exodus, where it's recounting the events that have happened. You know, there's prophetic literature that's like, Warning if you don't repent about the things that are going to come in the future. Talking to to Israel a whole lot when you go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, stuff like that. You've got prophetic literature about things that will happen in the days to come. You think of Revelation, right? And then you've got instructional uh, genres. These are things like uh, Ephesians, Romans, these letters that say, here's the truth. Here's how to apply it to your life, right? But then you've got poetry. You've got poetry. And it's all in the, I would even say, wisdom literature, and specifically, um, poetry, that's what this is. It's poetic wisdom teaching through song. And just like if you were to hear a song today, you would expect metaphors and imagery to, that give the main idea this punch that you just can't get without it. Like you think of John Legend. When he sings, give your all to me. I give my all to you. I'm not going to do any more of that, right? Give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. That just packs a punch in a way that the actual meaning doesn't. Because what he's actually saying is, I think about you most of the time I am awake, and my well-being and even my very identity is significantly determined by how well you reciprocate my love. Yeah, that's not quite it. That didn't pack the punch the way the lyric does, right? And that's important because when you read Song of Solomon 1, 9, where he says, the, the man says to the woman, I compare you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. He's not saying, girl, you look like a horse. <laughs> but like a royal horse, you know. No, that's not what he's doing. Or when he, you know, like when he calls her teeth a flock of goats or any of that other stuff that we're going to see in here. It's poetry. And like poetry, it follows a general timeline, but, but not exactly. It flashes to the past. It flashes forward to the future. And I'm going to help you see that. But here's why I love it so much and why I think it matters to spend a moment talking about that. God chose a poetic song to teach us about romantic love. He didn't give an instruction manual. He gave a poetic story. And I think to show us that even human love cannot be fully captured in just instruction or in a narrative. I think he did that to say if these images evoke these powerful feelings about human love, and human love is just an instructional reflection of divine love how powerful, how passionate, to use the old hymn, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Man, this should point you to God's love for you. That's the first thing, what you're reading there. The second thing, listen, the Song of Solomon is a love song meant to give us wisdom. This album of songs is like I said a part of the wisdom books along with proverbs and ecclesiastes it's here to instruct and the instruction what you're going to see is that focuses into two different groups the single person and the married person the primary instruction comes from a newlywed woman to her single girlfriends she's going to tell these young virgins who are of marriageable age that they are to wait to wait with anticipation but yes to wait to not awaken love until it's time she's going to say it in 273584, she comes out of love scene after love scene and says, You should wait for sexual intimacy until marriage. And I think this is significant because it's not some old celibate prophet telling them this. It's a newlywed woman, a sister and a peer, saying, Cool your passions now and arouse them later when it's time. In fact, the daughters of Jerusalem, which is the, that's her friends that she addresses, they're kind of the key, a key to understanding this whole book. You think about it, Proverbs is written from the angle of a father to the son. This one's written from the angle of a newlywed woman talking to younger sisters. These two books are companions of one another. And then Ecclesiastes comes along and says, this is wisdom for everyone in every season. The Bible's amazing like that. My point here, especially, is that single people, you're not an afterthought. You're actually kind of the key audience, And candidly, I would much rather you learn this as a single person because should the Lord have marriage in store for you, this will equip you for it. It's going to help you in deciding on a spouse and on how to function well together in marriage. I hope that we will exalt singleness again in this series and equip you to flourish in your singleness. That's, in fact, why we have uh, both single and married people in our sermon planning meetings every Wednesday is to ensure that even in, in a series like this. And now, married people, you're the other audience. It's interesting. In the New Testament... Um, Titus the letter to Titus is going to say um, older women train younger women older men train younger men younger men But here it's like the reverse the young couple is like the inspirational model to the older The song itself is to be like the wind that rekindles the flame from chapter 4 verse 16 awake North wind come south wind and blow. So a question for you is going to be How's your love life? Married couple Is your wedding bed dead or alive? And I promise you, that question is but a thermometer that takes the temperature of your marriage health. So, yes, one of of my hopes is that our study will lead to celebratory, unashamed, worshipful sex among married couples in our church. Listen, that's going to come quicker for some of y'all than for others. Right? Because for some of y'all, there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done outside of the bedroom. Conversations, repentance... And everything else in order to get there. All right. Last one. Interpretive key. The song of Solomon is a love song meant to give us wisdom in the Bible. This is the book of the Bible. We can't forget that. Like I prayed this morning, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture, including this book, is breathed out by God. It's his word to you. That's a huge deal. And this means, this is big. While being sensual, this this book is not crass. We must guard against pornifying this book for our pleasure. This book does not objectify women or men. On the contrary, it empowers them both. In fact, the woman in this book speaks more than any other woman in Scripture. And at the same time, this book does not shy away from the passion and beauty of sex given by God to a husband and wife in marriage. It celebrates it. And just as this couple will be naked and unashamed, so we should share their lack of shame as we worship our way through this book. And because it's in the Bible, we gotta recognize that this is a part of a larger story of Scripture. The whole Bible telling you, the whole Bible is telling you a love story. When we see the bride in this book faithfully pursuing. Her groom. It's a stark contrast to what's happening there. It's a contrast to the unfaithfulness of Israel described as an adulteress by the prophets of Scripture. we got to read this book in light of the person and work of Jesus who the Gospels call the bridegroom. The Apostle Paul calls our one husband, and the kingdom and consummation of his is a wedding feast. The grand story of Scripture is the God who is love, made love, and gives love, gave it to Adam and Eve. They rejected that love, and all of us have since but he sent Jesus to redeem us from our rejection of him, from our sin, to show us true love by dying in our place for our sin, to offer us a way of love, a new power and source for love in our short few years of life here on earth, and then to welcome us into his kingdom of eternal love when we die. God is love. God made love. God gives love. So pursue his way of love in your life. I told you this, is, this book is about human love. But y'all, it is an echo. It's an echo into eternity. Think about um, chapter eight. Always, when I think of Song of Solomon verses six and seven, when Courtney and I got married, we had um, we had Song of Solomon eight six and seven, just the scripture address inscribed on our wedding ring, um, and that was there to remind us. And when you hear this, it says, "Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love." As strong as death, jealousy, as fierce as the grave, its flashes are the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. If a man gave for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And what I, we wrote that in there. To remind ourselves as the years pass to rekindle that flame of what God had given us. And she's sitting in the next service, and I'm going to be making googly eyes at her while preaching this section, right? But also to remind us that love's flashes, its greatest intense moments. They're flashes that are to direct us back to the very flame of the Lord. God's love for us. And that our marriage, if left in our own strength, and we're going to try and get by in our own strength, It'll never work. That flame's going to go out through disappointments, stress, years and years, Maybe it's monotony. Whatever it is, it can go out. But no, not when it is empowered by the very flame of the Lord, the love of the Lord. That's what Christ offers you. That's my big hope for us in this series is that you will embrace the love of Christ for you. God is love. God made love. God gives love. And before you even pursue his way of love in your life, receive his love for you in the death and resurrection of Christ. That's my hope for you. In fact, in a minute, I'm going to pray over us. And I told you a part of our worship service this morning is baptism. And I just, man, I actually like fought the Lord on this all week. But I just recognize that there, I guess he convicted me of and just, told me to, better way to say it, just kind of convicted me of, hey, I want you to offer baptism to those that weren't planning on it (laughs) this morning. Um, We had some team members go out this morning, head over to Walmart, make sure we had all the supplies we needed for you to respond, um, shorts, t-shirts, everything else, um, so that you could say yes if the Lord was convicting you that way. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm offering it here to you. There are going to be a few people that are getting baptized, already planning on it. But baptism, again, it's a symbol of Yes, I believe the gospel. God's love is the reality. This is a symbol. But it's Christ's first step of obedience for those who want to follow him. And I don't want you to wait till the end of all of this to say, okay, now I'm going to start following him. When some of you, it's time right now, right now to say yes to Christ and his love for you and to receive that. So I'm going to pray for you. And as we go into a time of prayer, we're going to have about five team members in the back of the auditorium, back this way. I want you to go and talk with them. They're going to walk you through that decision to get baptized, whether that's today or maybe another day in the future. We do baptisms regularly around here, but you don't need to put off that conversation. You need to have it. All right, let me pray for you, and then we'll continue to respond. Father, thank thank you for the hope of Christ. I want to pray, Father, for this body of people that you've brought together for this season. God, I want to ask you, give us humility. Where we want to be defensive or proud, oh, Father, would you help us to see your love and humble us. God, I pray against pride. Pride. It's gonna wield itself in defensiveness. It's gonna wield itself in, I'll deal with that later. I don't need that. That's not for me. All these different things. God, I pray that you would, oh God, help us to see that your love is better than our defenses and that your love brings healing to us. You can heal us. I pray for men and women in our church to step up into what God has for them. Father, would you give humility? Would you also give courage? Maybe that's going to be to end a relationship. Maybe that's going to be to confess sin that's been hidden for years. Maybe that's going to be just to take the first step that you're going to use to warm a marriage that's been cold for a while. I pray for Humility and courage that reflects Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God, I pray for healing. Will this be a season of healing? As sin is confessed, as suffering is brought to light, would you heal? Spirit, we need you for that. Words fall short, you know that. I want to give you a moment as you're in prayer right now, kind of open-ended for you to say, God, help me to be humble and courageous with whatever you would have me to do as we walk through this. Humble and courageous. I pray that you would give, let your, let your eyes draw up to the cross, and God's love for you. If he loved you there and did not abandon you there, he won't abandon you now as you take that next step. Oh, God, help us. Help us to celebrate your love in a way that is worthy of your name. We need you for that. We We just fall so far short. Thank you for your love. May your love be the anthem of our church. May it be the anthem of marriages, anthem of the brothers and sisters of Christ here. In his resurrected name we pray, amen.